we need a new way of processing this data because it's so daunting that I need, I'm not looking at any more two, three things like what I used to do. Now I'm looking at hundreds of things. And to pull out the patterns of these things, yes, there is the traditional way, but these new ways are way much more efficient. Welcome to the Esri and the Science of Wear podcast. I'm Amin Ramashariki, Esri Urban Analytics Lead, and I'll be your host for today. You just heard Mansoor Rod, Senior Software Architect and Big Data Specialist at Esri, spotlight the importance of discovering hidden patterns in big data and turning them into action. Today, businesses, governments, and other organizations use location intelligence to get insight into markets and constituents. Here, Esri CMO, Mariana Cantor, explore examples of new and emerging techniques that are helping organizations implement successful big data solutions. Mansoor, hi. Thanks for being here with us. Uh, thank you for inviting me. You, you have tremendous expertise in managing big data. Could you talk about where the evolution of this technology is going? So we at Esri, we've been doing, as you know, geospatial for a long time. And at the time, people think that they had big data. And it's, it's important to actually stop here and actually ask, what is the true meaning of big data? It is a relative term. And it all comes down to service, uh, to, the, uh, to the level of agreement that you put with yourself or to your company of the definition of big data. What big data means to somebody, it means something totally else to somebody else. And my definition of big data is when your traditional means are failing you to do what you needed to do and you need something else, that something else space is big data. And I think that definition is fairly good to, to, to reply to that. At Esri, I've been implementing big data solutions with geospatial. It is the combination that makes this um, a passion of mine. A lot of people know how to do big data. A lot of people know how to do geo. But it's this combination of the two together is really what is uh, really enticing me to do that. So let's take the <laughs> official definition of big data, volume, velocity, and variety. I call it the academic definition of big data. And as I said, my definition of big data is when the traditional means are failing when applying volume, velocity, and variety. So let's talk about uh, volume, which is actually what a lot of people consider big data, is this massive geospatial scenario. Now, people say we have big data because we store massive images. Correct, but it is now not just images, but now the massive volume of vector data that are coming in from now everything, talk about digital solutions, everything is instrumented. Everything is being recorded. So that's the volume part. Because of the digital transformation and the new way of sensors ubiquitous, everything is streaming at you very fast. So that's the second V, which is velocity, right? And then every one of those things that are coming at you in large quantity, coming at you in uh, very fast, the third V is what? Variety. Each one of those have their different format. So if you think about it, massive geospatial, massive um, velocity of data coming at you so fast, and then finally the different formats that you have to deal with, and geospatial has all these different formats, how you, the attributes that are for a house are totally different from a from a tank that is in the field, from a telco uh, CDRs called data record. These are these different varieties of data all come together. So how now at Esri, 
we're dealing with this volume variety, variety, big data, and bring it into our platform and visualize and, and make sense of it and get insight out of it. So you bring up, I guess, analytics, right? right? That's how you deal with this. So where's right. the field of analytics going? Again, uh, if the people could see me here, uh, I have no hair. Why I have no hair? Because I've been really thinking in the last couple of years how we take traditional serial algorithm that we've been taught in school how to implement, right? How to write them serially and how to rethink those new algorithms in a whole distributed parallel share nothing way. So the analytics now that we used to do are now still applicable, but now we can do them much more efficiently and a much bigger scales. So we still can do the emerging hotspots, the binning, the, the, um, the classifications and these regression. The only difference is now we're using new ways of doing them. People think, oh, uh, ML is something new. Machine learning is something new. We've been doing machine learning for a long time. We've been doing classification, regression, and um, all these ways for a long time. We've just been doing them in just the traditional way. And now we're moving to a new realm where we're doing them in a new way. And why we need a new way is because of big data and massive volume, velocity, and variety. Is artificial intelligence the same as machine learning? It's a, it's a form of, uh, so you have, it's a pyramid. So first of all, you have AI on top and a form of AI, artificial intelligence, which is a big umbrella. You have ML, machine learning, and you have other forms that come along with it. And under ML is several subclass, like you have supervised learning, unsupervised learning, and uh, adversary learning. So it's a pyramid if you think about it. People t have a tendency of confusing the two, but it's a pyramid. You, you start from the top and then depending what you're trying to do, depending the different techniques, you will use the different ideas in there. And, and by the way, the ideas that we've been doing, is just a new form of them, just how we use them new way, right? In the old ways, we used to do regression using linear algebra. Well, now we're using this still linear algebra, but we're using it in a form of, for, for example, we call it neural network or deep network. It's the same thing. It's just a different implementation, right? But because of now we can take advantage of parallel computing, uh, distributed computing to help us with this idea in here. So there is a, clearly a very powerful set of tools and capabilities that helps companies and cities and organizations of various sorts deal with this digital transformation yes. and big data. Could you give us some examples of how it's realized in the various industries like telecommunications, utilities, right. oil and gas? I can give you the first one that we implemented at the port of Rotterdam. So at the port of Rotterdam, they had lots of data. They're managing ships moving in and out of the harbor. They have this thing called AIS data, which is automatic identification system. And it's basically, it's a, think about a GPS for boats. And the broadcast message is very well defined. It's a standard that push, people push it out of it, right? And they've been managing in and out of data, no problem, traditional way in traditional relational databases and stuff like that. Uh, at the time, uh, what happened is the harbor needed to meet a service level agreement. All data has to be stored for five years and more importantly, accessible within a minute or less than a minute. Any of the information in the five years had to be queried and visualized. Yes, they had the traditional vendors to be able to do that. 
When it came down to meet the contract, they realized that they were too late in be able to meet that SLA. The SLA was, imp was imposed by a third body to make sure that the contract is fulfilled. They came in, they're like, wait a minute, you forgot this one clause of the contract that says you will keep five years worth of online data and data has to be retrieved within this time way. Okay? They said, no problem. They turned the traditional vendor, said, Mr. Vendor, can you help us meet this SLA? And the vendor was said, no problem. Give us X dollars. Wait a minute. We don't have money. We have a two months to meet the contract and we're out of budget. This is a beautiful definition of big data. So though volume and velocity and variety was not the traditional means of implementing this, meeting the contract because of the budgetary requirement made them think differently to be able to meet that SLA thus enter a big data solution. This is my beautiful definition. We're totally outlier, right? I told you about the three Vs, right? But this one, you tell me, this one has. It is not volume. It is not variety. It is not velocity. But because they did not have the budget to meet that SLA, they had to think outside the box. And we brought in a big data solution in that one month to be able, actually, we had two months, but a month and a half, to solve that and meet the SLA. Uh, we're doing the same thing with telcos, as you can imagine. Uh, they're looking at uh, drop call analysis for better uh, service, right? Where are drop calls happening all over the United States? I need to know what tower is being affected by it. But the beauty about today is not just the data by itself. What makes geospatial so wonderful is how we layer information. How is social media affecting the tower information? Maybe the tower is still good, but because there is an event right next to it, like a Britney Spears event going on right next to it, and everybody's tweeting like crazy, and that tower cannot handle the, vo the volume of data that's coming in. So the tower might be good, but drop calls are happening because there's multiple tweets. But who would have thought that Drop calls is related to an event right next to it. If we did not do that geospatially, we would have not seen it. Okay, So it's this fusion of information together in different technologies, in different domains that is making it very powerful. Let's talk about smart cities with electrical, with the utilities. Look at what Dubai is doing, you know, with Project Shams, uh, how they're going to really maximize the... Uh, footprint of every parcel with how best can they take advantage of uh, solar capability to really get off oil, right? Dubai, I love Dubai because uh, really they are forward thinking. How everything is interlinked through the IoT, all sensor information being unified, not just inward, but also outward. That means data is coming in from the city to go back to the city itself. How to better manage electricity, how to manage sewer, how to better manage transportation. How is traffic is being affected by uh, schools, uh, right? I mean, it's a whole smartness, right? How big, tall buildings, Burj Khalifa is the biggest tower. It's an example of how we're going to be living. You know, in 2015, uh, I think, uh, according to WHO, 50% uh, more than 85% of the people that are in this earth are going to be living in cities. We're going to be building these big towers. And these big towers are going to sustain us. We're all stacked up on top of each other. Well, guess what? If we don't have smart buildings 
and smart infrastructure to sustain us, we're not going to be able to. Well, maybe it's a bad thing. Maybe we need to go back. But according to the migration, we can only be so much, right? So Burj Khalifa, that is 200, whatever it is, I don't know how many floors it is high, right? This is how we're going to be all living, right? It's an example of that. Let's talk about location intelligence. I know right. that it underpins pretty much all of the uh, conversation that we've had so far, but how would you define it for the layperson? So um, let's keep it simple. For the layperson, if they are somewhere in the field and they look around and they see a transmission tower, why was that transmission tower there? That is location intelligence. Somebody actually went ahead, took a bunch of information together and decided that that place is there. The location of a cell tower when they look around, which is ubiquitous right now, is not a random, somebody just put up his finger, it says where the wind is blowing and oh, or walking around with the magic rods, you know, for locating water and then pushing down. Oh, this is where we will put a, this is where we'll put the tower. No, 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 no. Actually, there's a lot of intelligence that went into where to place that tower. And it, it had to do with demographic, had to do with traffic, had to do with, uh, of course, leasing permits, right, that you could do. All this intelligence that all this information stacked up on top of each other to come up with the best location for that tower is location intelligence. Uh, when, uh, as a customer, want to open up a store, they just don't randomly open up a store. There's location intelligence that fuses demographic, how many people use ATMs, how many ATMs I'm going to have in there, where it is located, where my customer is, what is the travel time from my customer to that location. All these things is makes it location intelligence. Mansur, I read on your blog that you talk about self-organizing maps. What is that? Yes. So I blog on a lot of ideas that I have on Thunderhead Explorer. And I've been really fascinated with machine learning. One of the problems when you program traditionally, okay, and the definition of machine learning is you do not have to explicitly program the machine. That is really the essence of what we've been doing for the longest time. We've been explicitly programming machines to do a certain task. And actually becomes like a game of whack-a-mole. You program for certain condition, and then you run it, and then suddenly there's another condition that you did not think of, literally comes up like the game of whack-a-mole, like you whack it from one here because you programmed it to that, but you did not think about it, and the whack-a-mole comes up from the other thing. And then now you go back, you program for that other condition, and you hit that, but then suddenly it runs and this other thing comes in. So what you end up doing is programming like a whack-a-mole, like hitting that. Is there a way to program for all these conditions so like that you don't whack-a-mole, right? And this is where machine learning comes in. Now, there's a couple of ways of programming the machines. You can program it using what we call supervised learning, which basically you have a goal and you use techniques like supervised learning to reach that goal. And the machine keeps on adapting itself to reach that goal. Okay? The trick is you have to know the goal. Can we do this form of programming without a goal? You see? So mm -hmm. this class is called unsupervised learning, where you let the machine discover the goal, right? And self-organizing map is a form of unsupervised learning where the network that you're building would discover, 
hidden patterns in data without you explicitly telling it to look for the patterns, right? So this is the difference. Before you gave it the pattern, say adapt to that pattern. In unsupervised learning with self-organizing map, it will come up with the form automatically and will reveal patterns that are hidden in the data. That's what excites me. Is coming to a point where, tell me what I don't know that I don't know. It's the combination of machine and man. So we still, there are still things to there, but we're going to be complemented ourselves with machines. Same thing as how we use steam and man to be able to come up with, the, with additional stuff, right? I think today it's going to be machine and human together. How about we go back? This is fascinating indeed. Uh, but I'd like to go back to the now a little bit. Perhaps we could leave our listeners with some practical advice on how to begin to construct your big data strategy. So how do we start? Actually, it is not difficult, by the way. Starting to have big data is actually starting to become ubiquitous. Uh, the technology is available everywhere from storage and processing. There's a lot of vendors out there that can help people bootstrap the abundance of the cloud. This is the other thing, by the way, that is amazing now. And it's so uh, relatively inexpensive. The cloud now, all the Amazons, the Azures, the, uh, and their derivatives, right, are making this so easy to do. And they're all in the form of APIs that you can just invoke and start uh, taking advantage of things. And for very inexpensively, you do not now anymore to have things locally to be able to do a lot of these big data solutions. So storages have been democratized. Processing has been democratized. So now what do you do with this? Which goes back to my favorite thing, which is AI, right? We need a new way of processing this data because it's so daunting that I need, I'm not looking at any more two, three things like what I used to do. Now I'm looking a hundred of things. And to pull out the patterns of these things, Yes, there is the traditional way, but these new ways are way much more efficient. In closing, I want to ask you what excites you personally the most. Uh, I think I'll, t I'll tell you, for me personally, it's uh, constant learning. And I deeply believe that in today's world, you cannot just rely on what you've learned in school and stuff like that. So constant learning is something really I'm very passionate about. And the application of these new things that are coming in, like, for example, one of the things I'm fascinated to see how I'm going to apply is, like, for example, blockchain, right? Blockchain technology. And I think with geo, there is something there. Right now, me personally, this new way of applying AI, I call it geo AI to this big data, this new way of doing analytics. This is right now what I'm really, really passionate on a, on a, on a professional level uh, to go on from there. And I really... I deeply believe that anybody should have an AI strategy independent of big data. They need to have an AI strategy for, for them to, to go to the next level. Thank you so much, Mansur. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to the Esri and the Science of Wear podcast. And thanks to Mansoor Rod for explaining the variety of ways location intelligence is used to maximize the business value of big data. To learn more about building an effective big data strategy, download our ebook, Making Sense of Digital Transformation at esri.com forward slash where. To keep current with new interviews, visit our podcast page at esri.com forward slash podcast.